Welcome everyone to the sixth episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing great, David. Doing great. Episode number six. We're going to try something a little bit different for you guys uh, this evening. If you haven't yet, please follow us at on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. You can also follow me, David Hoffman, at Trustless underscore State. Christian, you want to give a plug? Yeah, you guys, Christian Krolis, here on Twitter as CK Snarks. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the tag is at real life underscore CK, at real life underscore CK. Uh, like I said, we're going to try something a little bit different today. Uh, we're going to try to not talk about the news and go over you know, some philosophy, some background on why we're interested in crypto and why we think crypto and blockchain is important for the world and why more people should be paying attention. Absolutely. And this is a question that I always, I've answered so many times, especially to the baby boomer generation, my parents mainly, um, even in my Uber this morning, like I told the guy asked me like, Hey, what do you do? And I do, and I told him, Oh, I'm, I work in cryptocurrency. And he goes, Oh, that's the future, man. Also, how does it work? Which is really interesting because like this guy who doesn't know how crypto works still believes it's the future. So we're going to start with an episode uh, and maybe this will be a reoccurring thing depending on the feedback to answer some of the more fundamental questions as to what really is cryptocurrency and why is it meaningful? Why is it impactful and why has it um, gained so much attention uh, in the last few years? Yeah, and to add on top of that, I think our overall goal, if we were to start a kind of a new slant to POV crypto, we'll still definitely be doing the news, but we want to try to create more evergreen content that is uh, going to help listeners who to kind of learn about the things that we wish we knew when we started this journey, right? So, and everyone kind of has these insights, no matter how long you've been in this space, um, you know. There's just so many ways to slice and dice this and so many perspectives um, that everyone is going to have something new that's going to like, wow, that changed how I look at this entire thing. So hopefully we can create some content to, you know, give you guys shortcuts to some of those, you know, kind of big uh, mind bending and and perspective changing um, realizations uh, that we've come we've had, um, you know, for this past year or so. Definitely, definitely. I'm looking forward to these episodes because they really allow us to take a step back. I think it's I can speak for both of us when I say that sometimes we get so into cryptocurrency when you live in the space and that's all you just breathe when you wake up every single morning. Uh, it's hard to take a step back and remind yourself why this is important for a global society. So it's going to be exciting to kind of revisit these ideas that got me excited about it in the first place. Awesome. Awesome. So let's let's get started here. Uh, it looks like on our notes, uh, we're going to be kind of explaining a little bit of like, what is a digital asset and, you know, what did Satoshi do when he, uh, solved the double spend problem? Yeah. So to recap, the double spend problem solves, um, a fundamental issue that the internet never really solved when it was first created. Uh, the internet is was very cool and still is because when you create data on the internet, you can copy and paste it and copy and paste it freely, which has led to really amazing things such as the freedom of information and the proliferation of data. People, the, there's no restraint on 
um, the what is on the internet. So when I take a photo and I upload it to the internet, A, it's there forever, and B, anyone can access to it. The problem is you can't have anything of value because if you have anything of value that's a piece of data and people can just copy and paste it, well, then if it's valuable, then they will just immediately copy and paste it until they have all of like a billion of them. So it ruins the whole point of having a value, a valued piece of data. This is why intellectual property is an issue. So what Satoshi did with the blockchain and what the blockchain fundamentally is, is a piece of technological infrastructure that allows for a finite number of internet based things i don't even know what to call it actually like a unit an integer um a unit of account would be the way to describe money but a blockchain makes sure that there's only a specific number of items on the internet driven by a global uh, network of computers so all of these computers are running this blockchain software the first one was bitcoin and you can't change all of the computer's code because uh, it's way too expensive to do that. So that's what the blockchain fundamentally did. It produced the first bits of data that can't be copied and pasted on the internet freely and distributed uh, because it would go against the code. And if it did, then people wouldn't accept it. How do you feel about that? Would you agree with that sort of definition? Kind of, but I think this is where uh, David and my fundamental perspective of the space is different. Um, while So Satoshi essentially created the first formula that allowed for the creation of di like digital scarce assets, right? So um, he created, you know, a mechanism uh, known as the blockchain now, um, where every single full node in the network, every single full participant in the network had a full copy of the ledger. So that's how he created digital scarcity, is that when Allison sent Bob one Bitcoin, every single person in the um, system updated their ledger. And if anyone's ledger was incorrect or invalid, it would just it just straight up would not count. That's how digital scarcity is created with a blockchain. Um, where my point of contention on that definition that David gave is that um, I think that proof of work is really the revolution that um, enabled for true digital scarcity in Bitcoin. And that, you know, a blockchain by itself without the right mechanics behind it, um, you know, is not something reliable. It's something that can be hacked and, and broken into. So blockchain no, by itself with that. does not create digital scarcity. You need something real that's, you know, ensuring it. And um, right now it seems like proof of work is, is what that is. Um, and I know this is supposed to be a beginner show. Um, so I guess we can do a little quick dive into what proof of work is and what some, you know, of these quote unquote consensus mechanisms um, intend to do. We don't have to like talk about exactly what all of them are, but what a consensus mechanism is and what it intends to do and in, in, in how it creates digital scarcity. Sure. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, actually. Uh, a, a blockchain is just a very special kind of database. It's a database that happens um, sequentially. So there's one block after another after another, and there's no skipping over blocks. It's one at a time in a serial order. And it's proof of work that calcifies these blocks into place over time. And so as a block 
gets further and further um, down in the list of blocks on the blockchain and, and more and more blocks are produced and put after it, uh, it gets harder and harder to undo that block because of the amount of work that has been put on top of it. And work in, in what we're talking about work, we're talking about the work that's used in physics. We're talking about literal joules of energy that has been expended to place that block on the blockchain and make sure that that um, block can't be replaced by any lesser amount of work. Uh, it, the work required to produce that block, but then also all of the work required to produce the blocks ahead of it. So if we are on, if we're talking about Bitcoin and we're 10 blocks down the line, uh, one block, it takes about 10 minutes for all of the computers to produce enough uh, guesses of numbers which uh, if you if you imagine just a super calculator guessing numbers as fast as it can, that's going to take up a lot of electricity and, and produce a lot of heat. And that's the work that we're talking about. And so these calculators are producing numbers as fast as humanly possible. It's like one computer can produce uh, like like 15 trillion guesses per second or something, something crazy like that. Um, and so, you know, multiply that by by hundreds of thousands of computers all over the world in order for um, you to be able to break the code and break the consensus of all these computers agreeing on what's true. You have to have 51 percent of all total work being put into the system. Um, and that's what that's what takes the blockchain from just being a special database to something really, really cool, which uh, started with Bitcoin. And, and then we have this ecosystem based off of it. Yeah, and you know what? What we're gonna do is we're gonna put some some links in the show notes. One of them is gonna be a link to how proof of work works, as as well as how Bitcoin works. Um, so there's some pretty good videos out there on YouTube that kind of break it down in a very concise way with graphics, way way more clear than we could ever describe over this podcast. Definitely. Um, but I guess let's just take a step back. Essentially, what was solved, and you don't have to understand how it was solved quite yet if you don't know how blockchain proof-of-work or proof-of-stake works, is people found out how to create digital scarcity, and that solved the double-spend problem, which means that if Bob... The double-spend problem is if Bob sends Sally one Bitcoin, um, what is there to ensure that um, Bob doesn't also have a copy of said Bitcoin that he's going to try to spend elsewhere, Right. So it, it, it solved, if he sent her a digital thing that said, you know, one Bitcoin, um, this mechanism ensured that you can trust that he didn't, you know, can still continue to have a way to spend that same, um, those, same fun, those same funds elsewhere. Um, so that's what was solved. Um, and, you know, it's kind of led into this crazy revolution, you know, now that you can create scarcity on the internet, what can you do with that scarcity and can that scarcity contain value? Yeah, totally. And and one of the things you um, kind of alluded to is uh, this system prevents Bob from spending the same Bitcoin twice. Um, but this system isn't actually owned by anyone. And so no one is actually... Um, there's not one entity that's actually ensuring that this is uh, happening. And so what what is happening is now what's called peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Um, so if, Christian, if I want to send you $20 uh, over Venmo, I could send it to you and you, it could show up instantly on your phone. But what happened was a message that went through uh, the Venmo database and then Venmo 
took $20 out of my bank account, held on to it for um, three days as the transactions cleared, and then they sent you $20 of their own money, which you were allowed to deposit into your bank account, which also took some amount of days. Um, so while it does appear fast, there was actually a middleman there who was actually able to profit off of, um, off of, off of that transaction. This peer-to-peer -peer transaction, which is directly from me to you, represents a fundamentally uh, more efficient way of value transfer. And if we want to go back, and I, I'm super into um, human uh, anthropology, and so we're going to talk a, a little bit about that. Humans have always gotten faster at stuff over time. doesn't matter what the subject is, um, but we always find ways to get better at things. Like that's why the wheel was invented, because it was a fundamentally much better way to make things happen faster. Um, and so if we want to talk about travel time, like humans started walking and then we found horses and that was an order of magnitude, increased uh, travel speed. Um, boats were also another order of uh, magnitude uh, in, a, in our, our ability to travel distances. Um, we invented trains and that was like incredibly much more efficient in what the, the load size it could take over long distances cars took us to places that trains couldn't and then we have airplanes that can bring us all around the world uh in a day and and can make like three to four trips um a day from you know one end of the states to the to another so we're talking about huge increases in efficiency isn't it crazy when you're in a plane that you're like literally in a flying tube propelled yeah. through the air it really yeah. trips me out and this is happening, happening like thousands and thousands of planes are in the air every single moment in time. Uh, we can see the same pattern with data. Like first, data was just uh, transferred from word of mouth. You know, stories were told around the campfire. Um, then things were written down and data could be transferred a little bit more efficiently. Um, then we had writing uh, on paper and, and mail, which, you know, was, you know, to our eyes, pretty slow. But previously, like you could send a letter from from one end of the States to the other and, you know, it, it would take a week. But that was incredible for the, the system that would uh, require for those people. Pony Newspapers. Express. Sorry, go ahead. The Pony Express. Yeah, yeah. Newspapers allow data to proliferate not just from one person to one person, but from one person to many. Um, the printing press. The yep. The telegram came and it, data became instant. Um, the phone the phone lines came and data became much more clear and uh, allowed a higher volume of data. And then the internet came and now we have um, you know blogs and statuses and you know online newspapers and just the speed of these things is incredible. And so getting back to money. Money also followed this same pattern where it took us a, uh, a long time for money to transfer when it, when it was gold and it was just handed off person to person. And it went through all the same steps as I described previously. And now it's on the internet and it's natively on the internet as opposed to being natively um, either as gold or cash. And natively being on the internet is a huge fundamental shift in how fast transactions can happen. And so I can send money to somebody in China just as fast as I can send money to you, Christian. It doesn't matter. It's at the speed of the internet with you know some issues with block, time, block times and stuff like that. But with developments in cryptocurrency, I see a future where transactions are almost free and almost instant, effectively, effectively both. Yeah, uh, 
I guess just to jump in here, um, you know, don't want to rain on the free and instant parade. You know, I think that there's always costs to things. Um, But, uh, you know, what David is talking about is, you know, right now you can Venmo someone money, right? But the difference is that um, that money requires trust, right? So Venmo has a ledger. Um, As long as you're, you know, sending money within Venmo, you're on their ledger. And as soon as you take money out, you have to, you know, Venmo has to communicate their ledger to your bank's ledger. And then your bank takes time to, you know, change their ledger and make sure it's real. And, you know, during that time, Venmo sitting on that money, they're profiting on that money, right? So it's not really instant. The, The settlement doesn't happen until you change the ledger. So what's happening now with cryptocurrencies is, you know, while the user experience is not amazing, these things are settling over the internet without any trust at all, right? Which is a complete change of paradigm because when you're operating on Venmo's ledger or PayPal's ledger um, or your bank's ledger, you know, there is someone that can be controlled and there's someone that you have to trust that won't block you, right? And then once those settlement activities are moved away from those people and moved to a system that is essentially automated um, and doesn't require any trust of anyone, that is a complete change of paradigm. You know, now all of a sudden, like you can't control who sends money where. And governments don't have a central point of contact to call up and say, block this person or make sure this transaction doesn't go through. Um, so all, there's a very big difference between sending your Bitcoins and sending your you know, WeChat dollars or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. That, that touches on a, such a, an, an important point because um, it, ironically, Bitcoin was uh, started, the Genesis block was started right after the banking crisis in, in 2008. It was started in January of 2009. Um, so when we talk about the issue of trust, we don't have to trust anyone that that there will be the bitcoins there all the time, no matter what, and there will be no more than twenty one million. Um, unlo- unlike how when you give uh, banks your money and you deposit them your money, they're not holding your money for you; they just owe you money in the future, and so you're trusting them to have that money there available for you all the time. Um, this is what a run on the bank. Uh, illustrates is that people want to get their money out if they feel like they don't they aren't able to trust the bank and then the bank collapses because of the of the insecurity of the financial system and so this is something that bitcoin solves and and a lot of i think this is actually a a lost on a lot of americans who aren't really uh too incentivized to to learn about this kind of stuff but for many countries, especially countries in the last five to ten years, uh, countries like Venezuela, Argentina, Zimbabwe, this is a huge issue for them. And also with countries like uh, who have a lot more authorita- uh, authoritarian um, leadership, uh, uh, countries like like Russia or I mean, Bitcoin's not, I'm sure Bitcoin's not available in North Korea, but I'm sure North Koreans would like a, a source of money that is independent from their government. Um, so having having a financial system that is not dependent on the your government or uh, any sort of uh, centralized financial system is a monumental shift in the options that people have to secure the value that they work hard for. 
so let, let's take a quick step back. So, um, when when David said the Genesis block of Bitcoin happened in two thousand, you know, at 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 the end of the or at the beginning of the two thousand eight um, kind of two thousand nine recession, um, like Bitcoin was literally a political statement um, about you know the current financial system and bailouts. Um, and you know, this is kind of like a high level thing, but on the Genesis block. So the first transaction that occurred, the first, you know, set of, uh, set of, you know, numbers on the ledger, um, you can sign a message onto, you know, each transaction that occurs and in the first transaction on the, on the block, um, Satoshi, the, um, anonymous creator of Bitcoin wrote the times, January 3rd, 2009, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. You know, this is about the financial system. Satoshi is trying to create a new financial system, right? You know, this is a political vehicle and a political statement and a financial statement that's trying to change the world um, by changing how we define and work money and how uh, our money stack works. Um so, you know, that that's kind of like the, the ultimate goal of this. And there's a lot of technology that's coming out of it um, that is, you know, touted for many things and is used for many things. But when you really roll it back, like, you know, this is about changing the financial system. Um, and at one point, there was a separation of church and state, and that really changed the world, I think, for the better. Um but this is the separation of money and state. And, you know, when we first back, if you look back in history, there's a point where gold and silver were money. And that was not necessarily associated with the state. But now money is 100% associated with the state. What we all remember as money is these paper things that, you know, we spend as money. Uh, but what makes those paper things worth anything and why are some paper things more worthy than other paper things? Um, I think David can jump into that as I'm going pretty pretty long on this monologue. Yeah, no, it's it's an important detail. Um, like you mentioned, once upon once upon a time, governments and any any sort of leadership had to play by the same rules as the people in in the sense that they couldn't print gold out of thin air. So they, they, it was a level playing field for everyone. Uh, as soon as uh, banks came around, uh, we got introduced to uh, Keynesian economics, which uh, is, a, is a hot topic in the issue of cryptocurrency. Crypto, cryptocurrency fans um, are traditionally Austrian economics, but uh, we can get into that later. Um, but as soon as the government uh, owned the, the banknotes, and banknotes started off as like a promise of gold and then i believe in the 70s we went off the gold standard and we just just had the dollar um and that was a, a political uh issue of contention um which was a, a very interesting time um but you know the people again like didn't really care they just just like how people don't care about privacy or you know um other issues like that they just like just went with it and like oh yeah they, we we have the dollars and now we're having more dollars and whether it's backed by gold or not i don't really care i'm just going to get paid in dollars either way 
Um, but it's actually a fundamental, a fundamentally different uh, backbone of finances. Uh, the United States is, is benefited with uh, having basically the reserve currency of the world. Uh, and so other countries don't have that benefit, especially countries that have their um, their money pegged to the dollar. They can't go print more of their money. So it's really just the United States that has just uh, the, the control of the world's financial system at its fingertips. Uh, and one of the common narratives that you'll see uh, if you pay attention to the Bitcoin space is that people believe that if you have the power to print money, eventually that power will be exercised at some point. And what that does is that if the government prints a bunch of more money, it's 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 stealing from everyone else who has that money stored up in their bank accounts because it's devaluing the money that people have worked hard and saved for. And the government just uses their undue uh, power to make everyone else's money worthless while they print more from themselves. So the theme that you just kind of tapped into is um, so. Let's just take a step back. There's a lot of people specifically in like the hardcore Bitcoin crowd who are these like hardcore libertarians, like down with the government, taxation is theft. And picking back on this idea of taxation is theft is that um, is that printing money, um, inflation is a hidden tax, right? So you, let's say inflation is 2% a year, theoretically for lucky americans um you know that's essentially the government printing dollars the government spending dollars and releasing that into the ecosystem and your dollars are worth two percent less every single year so that's a hidden two percent tax and you know if it is actually two percent um you know we don't notice it you know soon enough to react um but you know Theoretically, being able to print money is stealing from your citizens who are forced to hold their value, right? And so you are living in the U.S. You are, you have one of the most reputable countries with the world reserve fiat currency, and we'll get into what fiat currency is. Um, but you know, pretty much, you don't see this problem. But let's go to Egypt. Let's go to Venezuela. Let's go to Argentina. Let's go to some of these other countries that you know, don't have this reputation that don't have, you know, a good government structure that appears to have their best interest. Um, and you're holding Egyptian pounds. My uncle's Egyptian. He was a relatively wealthy man in Egypt. The majority of his wealth is held in Egyptian pounds. Uh, you know, since the, since the Egyptian revolution, the pound has cut its value in half so just out of nowhere because you know of political situations the value of his money has been separated um you know and has has been tarnished um and he had no choice or any any protection from that and that's part of what bitcoin is promising is this asset that's different from gold because gold is really big and heavy and hard to hide um you know bitcoin can can be you know you can remember a couple words and you know those words can give you access to your bitcoin anywhere that's called a brain wallet so it's completely different um or in any cryptocurrency theoretically can have a brain wallet but you know i'm just saying bitcoin um homogeneously um but you know the point is is bitcoin offers this um alternative and 
Um, you can really see already today in countries that are in hyperinflationary uh, environments, they turn to Bitcoin first. Why? It's much easier to get a hold of than gold. It's much easier to get a hold of than dollars. Dollars require you to have physical dollars or American bank account or another type of bank account that has accepts dollars. And that requires KYC and it's just difficult, right? Bitcoin, you can spin up a wallet. You can plug a computer into into uh, into the internet and into uh, your power and you can start mining and making a small amount of cryptocurrency, a small amount of Bitcoin. And, you know, you can put it into your wallet. You can possess it easily you can transfer it easily and you didn't and no have one to ask anyone it. you didn't have to ask anyone that's the difference that's the difference um yeah so and that's what this this what that's what this technology promises very 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 true very very true and, and one of the important things is is people can confiscate your dollars and people can confiscate your gold i i heard read an article recently of um, people on a flight out of Venezuela and they had all of their gold jewelry confiscated on the way out uh, just because Venezuela didn't want value leaving the country. But there's no way to confiscate Bitcoin. You can't steal the 24 uh, words that allow people access to their private key for Bitcoin. Um, they can't confiscate that if you have that memorized. Uh, so it's, it's very powerful. It returns power to the hands of the people, um, which is which is. I mean, it's it's nice to see. You know, when you travel across borders and they're like, declare if you have more than $10,000 on you, you could have millions in a brain wall. On the internet. just And no one can touch it. There's nothing physical about you that has it. You just memorize 24 words that give you access to a wallet that has millions of dollars of funds. No one can touch you. That like again, that's the difference, and you could have gotten all of that without asking permission once. Very true, very true. Uh, so I'd like to actually, so that's all of that is pretty well already been a proven use case of blockchain. I don't really think that this is uh, a point of contention with other people out in the world. Like this, what we, everything we've talked about is stuff that has happened and will likely continue to happen. Um, and then, but we can also talk about um, uh, another topic that has been going around the cryptocurrency space in the in the 2017, 2018 world. People are starting to get really excited about other digital assets that aren't just Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first digital asset, um, but on top of Ethereum, which is turning out to be a pretty good asset issuance platform, um, people are talking about issuing tokens that. Uh, can represent ownership of other things. Um, and so that it kind of opened up the floodgates as to what really a digital asset can represent. Um, so on Ethereum, you can people are talking about the, the, um, the, uh, that people might be able to tokenize real estate. A lot of projects are trying to figure out how to tokenize like a property, uh, an address to a house or um, something of that nature. So this is something that's very, very experimental. We haven't seen this yet. Um, uh, we'll see if this actually works. But it's something that uh, it doesn't have to just live natively on uh, on the internet. But we can still have it turn into a digital asset that is traded just how Bitcoin is traded, peer-to-peer um, -peer through a blockchain, uh, immutable and uncensorable by any authority. And we can have these uh, real-world properties that have their ownership tied to a token on the blockchain that can be traded. Um, so I think that's that's worth throwing in there to to just 
get in people's heads about how this might be a future that's around the corner. Again, I think this is kind of where me and you disagree mm-hmm. a little bit. So, I think that there's a big liquidity play with having, you know, digitized assets, right? And, you know, people are talking about, like, Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, divide that up into 100,000 pieces, and then people could trade that like stock, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, that that's fractional ownership, digita- uh, you know, digitization of assets, putting your house's uh, deed on the blockchain and just being able to trade that. Um, on an exchange or peer-to-peer something like that right but well what, that has happened you know, actually two times there there have been two trading of deeds on ethereum which is pretty cool yeah definitely i mean it's not hard to do proof of existence is you just stamp something on you know a reputable blockchain um to prove that you know it existed or whatever but the the whole difference is not uncensorable because ultimately you're, you know, your house is not uncensorable. Your house is mm-hmm. in a country that can still be confiscated in the, you know, if the government or thugs or, you know, some army wants to take your house away from you, they don't give a crap if you have the freaking digital token. Okay? That is true. So that, that will be an issue that will have to be brought up um, in the future. Uh, but I'm, there's also no reason why um, anything physical, you're right, it will have to follow the, the law of the land. Um but I think people might be more interested in and in staying staying in uh, in the law with a lot of these things, um, and then other things like Bitcoin, which can't really be stopped by the law, will have the benefit of that as well. Totally, but like saying that it's uncensorable is n- not true, right? Oh. Like even oh. like even well, like token a token stock, you know, like you know, ultimately Apple can say screw you, right? Yeah, um, that is true. That so is true. again, like, and that that's how it is with your stocks right now. You know, mm-hmm. your stocks are censorable. <laughs> you know, if the government wants to confiscate your assets, they're going to go call up Robinhood or whoever the hell your broker is and say, hey, shut them down. No more access. Um, so um, that I don't think that's going to change if they're tokenized. Uh, so I think that there are benefits, but it's not the same as Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency that are like digital bare assets. This is only lives on the Internet. If you have the right. private key, it's not going to get confiscated from you. Right, they right. can't take it away from your brain wallet, you know, other than you know making you forget, right, right, wiping your memory, but then it's gone forever. You know, they can't steal it. True, true. There's, and so that yeah, that gets into the topic of digital companies. Um, newly introduced by the world of blockchains is uh, a topic called um, a DAO, a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, it's kind of got it's got a pretty loose definition. No one has really uh, nailed it down to one single definition yet. Um, but what a decentralized autonomous organization is, um, and this kind of goes back to our goal of uh, really stepping into a high level overview of what cryptocurrency is or can be. A decentralized autonomous organization is think about like a decentralized Uber or a decentralized Airbnb, where people, if you need to produce some work for uber for decentralized uber you can just go sign up for the uber decentralized uh application and somebody else some rider will also be there 
It's just the same business model, and you can just produce work for this decentralized company, and the riders' um, money, their Bitcoin or their U.S. dollar stablecoin or whatever currency they have, can get transacted to this this uh, driver who did work for them. Um, and that part will be immutable. So long as they have access to the internet, no one will be able to stop this decentralized uh, autonomous organization from allowing people to connect in a peer-to-peer manner with the same business model as Uber, but without the middleman and without the middleman's fees. Um, so another sci-fi thing that may or may not happen, but people are hypothesizing that this might be a future trajectory of the world. Yeah. Um, again, I think this is something that we don't know how it's going to materialize. I think these kind of decentralized organizations enabled by computers are already happening and they are getting stronger and better and at some point will rival what we consider to be like traditional companies. So that's going to be pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. I feel like I, I'm not sure if it's going to manifest itself in something that looks like Dash or something that looks like a, you know, one of these ICO platforms or one of, you know, I, I just don't know what's going to look like. I think it's going to look personally, I think it's going to look a lot more like LimeWire or uh, or BitTorrent or something like that. Um, that that's what I think. uh you know, the future DAOs are going to be, and there's going to be a lot of prominent ones. Um, but, and I think that Bitcoin's kind of like a, this interesting DAO. Yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, and, and it consists of companies <laughs> inside of the decentralized organization. So. Yeah, that's actually true. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't I think know. I think, this... I think all of the above. I think DAOs are going to manifest in every single way possible that they can manifest. Yeah. Let's fill fill whatever niche that they can. If there's if there's uh money to be accrued or value to be captured, some DAO will be built to capture it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, only time will tell, right? We can all have yeah. predictions, but most likely we'll be wrong. If I was if I was a genius I'd have a lot more Bitcoin right now. Probably <laughs> a lot more square. It would be it would be Amazon. nice though if there were a bunch of DAOs for people to produce work for, so that you know you don't have to sign up for an employer, you don't have to give them your social security number. If you just need to work, you can just go do work for them, and then if you don't want to do work, you don't have to do work for them. And there'll be a number of different DAOs to employ a lot of people, um, and hopefully the demand for them will will employ a significant another people enough people that that people can get the satisfaction out of life by producing work for these DAOs. I think that's the uh, the sci-fi dream. Yeah, it's either that or they become our computer overlords and we're just waved, wage slaves to computer overlords instead of real people. Both can happen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that is I mean, a very legitimate fear. <laughs> Facebook is kind of like a computerized computer overlord or uh, an automated human overlord. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, there's no reason to think that decentralized Facebook will produce any less of the social engineering that centralized Facebook produces. But it really depends on who builds the code. So, developers, you know, get it right, please. You can't yell at you can't yell at CEO of decentralized Facebook to yeah. stop the ro- Russian bots from brainwashing our people. Yeah. Do we, maybe we don't want it to be decentralized. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but that's I'm sure people think about money that way. 
um, but I'm definitely down to have some decentralized money. Um, no, I, it, I think it's really interesting how the, the gig economy is really going to manifest itself. I think it's like kind of making like little like little appearances here and there, um, but we haven't seen what the real, you know, fully globalized gig economy with a majority of people working in it is going to look like and what kind of technology is going to be necessary for that to be sustainable. I think we would agree that cryptocurrency is a great piece of infrastructure to host the gig economy, right? I mean, I think it's going to lead to that. I, open source development is kind of has that in its ethos as it is. Yeah. Um, it's really very fascinating to think of a world where, that is open source instead mm-hmm. of proprietary. So who knows what, you know, again, how that's going to manifest itself. I don't think it's going to manifest itself in any way that any of us uh, can imagine. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, well, I think, I think Christian, I think we're going to do a bunch of these episodes. So let's not give away all of our cool secret sci-fi uh, futures. Um, I'm ready to wrap this episode up. Do you have anything else to say? No, I think, I think that's pretty good. Um, I feel like this is just one big rant. So we're going to have to sharpen it up, but... You know, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's what. Uh, hopefully, that's what people want. If that's not what you want, tell us in the reviews. Yeah, please rate, share, review the podcast. Hit us up on Twitter, Twitter POV Crypto Pod. David Hoffman on Twitter Medium at the at trustless, trustless underscore, underscore state. state. Oh man, I did we just say that at too. the same time? I think so. Nice. You, maybe nice. you should say it again. <laughs> at trustless underscore state yeah get it right people not like me and then me christian only on twitter I tweet a lot at real life underscore ck when at pov crypto pod tweets it's most likely me too so yep that's true <laughs> david needs to get on it otherwise it's just going to be two accounts of just christian so <laughs> I'll, I'll put a little bit more work in this week. <laughs> Thank you for every, everyone for listening. Uh, if we confused you, please let us know. It's kind of hard when we live and breathe crypto to remind ourselves what we didn't know when we didn't know anything. Yeah, I guarantee the episode confused you. So just let you know. Tell me what. Tell me what's good. We're gonna get this right. I'm off. All right. Adios. <laughs> Bye.